I'll be taking my reading this morning from Hebrews chapter 10. I'll begin at verse number 37, and I'll end at chapter 11, verse number 6. That reading, one more time, is Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse number 37, and ending at 11, chapter 11, verse number 6. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It reads thus, For in just a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns back who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. Rather, we are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, and that we now see, and that we now see the things rather we now see did not come uh, from the things that are seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gift. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And verse number six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You may Go ahead and have your seats at this time. I want to speak to you this morning from the title, The Only Approval That Truly Matters. The only approval that truly matters. I want that title, as you view it on the screen and as you, you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, I want that title to just sit in your spirit this morning. The only approval that truly matters. 
I want to begin by saying there is an unspoken yet almost universal belief that says unless people approve you, then you really have no worth. In, in, in other words, there, there is a sense and there is a belief. It's, it's not really spoken in, in open conversations around dinner tables. It's, it's not something that's necessarily taught in schools or in huge platforms, but it, it's, it's almost like this unspoken thing that is universally believed that the only time we see our worth is when other people approve of us. And a lot of times, expectations of said uh, approval often leads us to really seek after everyone's approval. We, we are individuals, as much as we would want to admit it or not, we are people that seek the approval of other people. But in the same vein, I want us to also appreciate that seeking approval of people who have our best interests at heart in and of itself is not necessarily flawed. Because the concept of approval is, is really coming from a place of receiving the blessing of someone else. It's, it's not wrong to seek approval of one's mother or father. It's not wrong to seek the approval of one's spouse. It's not wrong to seek the approval of our dearest and closest of friends and acquaintances. It's, it's not wrong to seek the approval of people and brethren in church. However, we, we need to understand that provided that there is a healthy relationship that is existing. However, you and I know all too well that more often than not, whenever we talk about seeking the approval from others, things like self-worth and self-confidence is often attached to it. We are also well aware that uh, the people that we are seeking validation from really don't have at least when they don't have our gifts and our talents, our dreams, our desires, and our best interests at heart, it is a recipe that is there to invite heartbreak and disappointment. In other words, we find ourselves in unhealthy situations seeking the approval of individuals who do not have our best interests at heart and no amount of seeking, no amount of energy ever brings us the satisfaction of hearing them say, well done. And so oftentimes, if we're not careful, even though seeking approval in certain instances can be deemed healthy, uh, more often than not, we find ourselves in a cycle of trying to seek the approval of individuals whose approval we could never really receive. Sadly, we bring this mentality of trying to be perfect into our walk with God. And in so doing, we, we complicate our walk with Jehovah. We pervert the purity of the simplicity of the gospel when we embrace that type of mentality. We, we twist the truth of God into the traditions 
of men, we create not only toxic behaviors, but a toxic image of Jehovah God. When, when we embrace these ideas of trying to be perfect, we, we breathe and we cultivate toxic behaviors in ourselves, while we also present a toxic image of a God who desires us to be perfect. In our attempt to please Yahweh, we, we believe that in order to please Yahweh, it must mean that we have to please everybody else. Because the only way that we could truly please Yahweh when we have that perception and that mentality of seeking approval, the only way we deem ourselves being truly pleasing to Yahweh is when everyone approves of us. But I want to free us this morning from that false notion. Because the truth is we could never, ever, ever, ever please everybody. Nor should we be expending energy, time, effort, and resources to the striving pursuit of pleasing everyone. The only opinion, the only approval, and the only validation that matters in the grand scheme of things ought to come from Jehovah God. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take my time with this because I'll, I'll confess to you that this was not the intended message on this morning. And it's a good thing I didn't send the initial message to Jose on Friday because they, they, they I've been struggling with this pericope of text from uh, chapter 10, verse 37, through Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. Uh, and I'm prepared for us to go through the book of Hebrews, and we will be going through the book of Hebrews, but there was something within the confines of chapter number 10 and verse number 37 through uh, chapter 11 and verse number 6 that the Holy Spirit didn't, I, I didn't feel like I could, I could go past those verses. And so several readings later and, and several prayers later, I'm, I'm praying and I'm pleading to God, God, why is it that I can't seem to get past these verses? And, and he, he said, read the text again. And I read the text again and I'm praying to God one more time, God, why, why don't you want me to get past? I'm, I'm being honest now, I'm being open. Why don't you want me to get past these verses? It's it's, 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 it's Thanksgiving Day, it's Thursday, I already have this message planned out, it's ready to go. I, all I need to do is create a PowerPoint because everybody seemed to enjoy the PowerPoint la last week. And, and so I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. He says, no, 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 I, I need for you to, to read the text one more time. And so I'm reading the text, I'm reading the text, I'm reading the text, and then a light goes off. Because here it is, I believe the Hebrew writer is sharing some thoughts prior to getting into Hebrews chapter number 11. Here it is, he is, he is sharing some thoughts that I believe is going to be so pertinent to, to what he has to say later on in chapter number 11. 
But really, he, he paints this picture. I, I want you to see this with me. He paints this picture and this progression, and he, show the, he shows these connections stemming all the way back in chapter number 10 and verse number 38. And he's going to make some connections, and he's going to progress through those verses. And we're going to see something culminate at verse number 6 of chapter number 11. We know what verse number 6 of chapter 11 says in the King James. Uh, it, it reads something like this. For uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. For they that come to God must believe that he is, and he, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, you, you know, we, we, we are familiar with that, but I want us to see really quickly, and this brief exhortation would be, would be yours, I want us to see really quickly that there is a progression and there is a connection with what he states back in chapter 10, verse 38, and how he progresses into chapter number 11, the, the hall of faith. I want us to see that there is a progression and there is connection there. If you don't mind, come back, come back to chapter 10. Uh, I need for you to have your Bibles open for this. Come back into chapter 10 and, and look down at verse number 37. This was where our scripture reading was taken from. I want you to look down into your Bibles and don't be afraid this morning to just highlight or make some notes. I want you to see these connecting thoughts verse by verse. And I want you to see how this clusters together as he paints this, this, this strong picture before he even begins to present all these lists of individuals who lived according to this thing that is called faith. Watch this. In verse number 37, he says, for in just a little while, the, one, the coming one will come and he will not delay. So he's encouraging, like I said last week, he's encouraging the people of God how to live in the liminal space. You remember that message? He's encouraging them what they need to be doing while they're waiting on the coming of Jesus Christ. He, he says, I want you to know that God, that Jesus is not a liar. He's going to come soon, but I need for you to be faithful because he is faithful. I, I need for you to understand that he is one that is going to fulfill his promise. If he said he would come back, he is going to come back. And the reason why you could put your trust and your confidence in him coming back and him saying he was coming back was because when he said he was going to come the first time he came. It may have taken several hundred years. It, it may have taken some generations. But when he promised back in Genesis that he was going to come, when he promised back in Old Testament times that he was going to come, he eventually came. When he came on the earth, he promised them that he was going going to die uh, on the cross, and in as much as he was going to die on the cross, the grave wasn't going to be able to hold him down. And he told them, listen, I'm going to die, but I won't stay dead. On the third day, I will raise again. So in as much as he promised before that he was going to come and he came, in as much as he promised that he was going to die and he did, in as much as he said I was going to be raised again and he was raised again when he left, notice what he said, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. So the Hebrew writer is, is, is leveraging the fact that Jesus Christ is a promise keeper. If he had made a promise to you and if he has made a promise to me, it is as good as done. So he leverages that fact. So he says, he that is coming, he's going to come quick and he will not tire because he, his word is good. His word is as good as his bond. But then he goes on. I want you to watch this with me really quick. In verse number 30, he says, And my righteous ones will live by faith. 
There are two things he introduces here. Number one, the concept of, of righteousness. And number two, the attitude or the disposition of one who is righteous, living according to our way that is faithful or our way of faith. But then in verse, the later part of the verse says, but I will take no pleasure, watch it, in anyone who turns away. So we see righteous ones shall live by faith. Say faith. So we see righteous ones, that's those individuals who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, those individuals who claim to be recipients of the Holy Spirit, those individuals who claim to be sons and daughters of Almighty God. He says the righteous shall live and will live by faith. So he introduces righteousness, but he also introduces the faith walk, faith walk, right? But then in the latter part of the verse he says, and I will take no pleasure, watch it, in anyone who turns away. So we see righteous ones must live or will live according to faith. But then he says, God will not take pleasure in those righteous ones who don't live by faith that turn away. Watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. But then he comes on in verse number 39. But we are not of those who turn away from God to their own destructions. We are the faithful ones. Say faithful ones whose souls will be or shall be saved. What's the connection? In verse number 38, he says, the righteous ones will live by faith. In verse number 39, he says, we are not of those who turn away unto destruction, but we are the faithful ones. Then we get to verse number one of chapter number 11. He says, faith, therefore, is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. Verse number two, through their faith, the people in old days earned a good reputation. Watch it. Then in verse number three, four, and five, he starts off by saying or using the phrase, by faith. Verse, four, verse three, is, he would say, by faith, we understand. In verse number four, he would say, by faith, Abel sacrificed. And in verse number five, he would say, by faith, that eunuch or Enoch was taken up. So he has introduced some concepts. Number one, righteous ones or righteousness. He has introduced the idea of the righteous ones living according to faith. But then he also introduced the aspect of what it means to have pleasure or dis displeasure. For God to be displeased is to recognize that the supposed righteous ones aren't walking in faith. Because what brings God's God pleasure is when those who are counted as righteous ones walk in faith. Let me repeat that one more time. What brings God displeasure is when those who are counted as righteous ones do not walk in faith. What gives God and brings God pleasure and renders his approval is when those who are counted as righteous ones do what? Walk in faith. You guys seeing this? So, so when we think about it, what the Hebrew writer is trying to help us to recognize is that, listen, if you want to be pleasing to God, if you want the approval of God as a righteous individual, what do you need to do? Walk in faith. And walking in faith is, 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 
is kind of complex. There is a simplicity to it, but there is also a complexity to it, right? Because the simplistic aspect of walking in faith is simply being obedient to God. That's as simple as you could get. The complexity of, of walking in faith and being in obedience to God, the Hebrew writer recognizes, I can't really capture the complexity simply by one verse, even though he says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What he later, what he later goes on to do is to give us a list of what faith looks like. So in other words, it's easy for me to simply say faith is being obedient to God. But then when I start to describe that and when I start to unpack that, you realize that there is a complexity to faith. Anybody here ever tried to, to um, explain faith to somebody who was questioning faith? What is faith? What is faith? What is faith? Right? And so you realize you, 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 you start off by saying, well, faith is, is trusting in God. Okay. Uh, 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 is that it? No. But then you start to explain you start to go a little bit deeper. Well, the Hebrew writer says, listen, as much as I could say faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen, I need to expound on that a little bit more. And in order for me to expound on that, I need some time. I, I, I need to get this parchment. I need to put this pen to paper. And I'm going to just start to write. And he starts from the very beginning. And he progresses through the historical account of the children of Israel, even to this present day that he was writing to these individuals that are deemed Christians. So there is a progression in the text. There is a connection in the text. And I want us to appreciate some quick observations in the text. Number one, as we look at this particular text, there is a correlation between God's approval and one's faith. Let me read that one more time. There is a correlation and a connection between God's approval and our faith. There, there is a reason why we feel some type of ways when we're not walking step in step with God. There is a reason, and, uh, and it's built in. There is a reason why we feel some type of ways uh, when we're living some type of, some type of way and we, 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 we don't want to pray, we don't want to read scripture. It's because there is something that is within us that identifies with the fact that a holy people serving a holy God ought to be living and leading righteous lives. And when we're not living righteous lives, and I'm not talking about living a perfect life, you guys know that by now, but when we're not living according to the way and the work of God, then guess what? We feel some type of way, right? And so people come into you to ask you to pray for them. I don't want you to, I can't pray for you because I need somebody to pray for me right now. There is a correlation between God's approval and one's faith. That's observation number one. But here, here it is. Here's another observation. Faith is the manifestation internally and externally of what we know in this case about Jehovah God. So it is the manifestation internally. That's, that's the idea of, of us having this belief system. That's, that's internal. That's in the mind. That's in the spirit. That's in the psyche where, where we know something about God, where we know that there is a God. That's, that's the internal aspect. But externally, it's, it's all these things that we do as a result of the belief that we have in Jehovah God. All right? So he says, faith is the manifestation of what we know about Jehovah God. Watch this. It's based on revelation and not speculation. In other words, faith 
is not faith if there is not some form of knowledge involved. You would say, well, Brother Morgan, how does that account for people like Abraham when Abraham just got up and he left his, 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 his father's house and he didn't know where he was going? He didn't know where he was going or where God was leading him to, but he knew to an extent the God that was leading him. So the issue is not knowing where you're headed. That wasn't the faithful part about Abraham, Abraham at the time. The issue was he believed in the God who told him go. Faith doesn't always have to make sense in terms of knowing the, 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 the outcome in as much as you, you, you know the person who is commanding you to do something. So when you think about it, based, it's not based on speculation. It is, it is not based on the unknown. Faith is based on revelation and it is based in some, some semblance of knowledge. Faith is at the core of one's obedient submission to Jehovah God. The reason why we submit to Jehovah, the reason why we obey God to begin with at the core of it should be faith. And let me tell you why that needs to be at the core because more often than not, we are as human beings, we, we, we respond to things like pain and fear. And, and you know this, if, if you've grown up in the church back in the 60s and, 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 and the 70s and the early mid 80s even, you know the type of teaching and preaching that was there. You guys better give your life to Jesus before you go to hell. So a lot of people are running into the door off of fear of going to hell and, and not necessarily fear of knowing an awesome God. People were, were coming into Christianity for, because of a phobia of death and not a reverence to an almighty God. So that's what I'm saying. We need to be careful that at the core of our obedience and our faith is not one that is simply based on I don't want to go to hell. Even though that's a good, a good idea to have. I don't, anybody here wants to go to hell? I hope nobody here wants to go to hell, right? But at the core of our obedience should be the fact that we stand in awe of a God that is able to speak the world into existence, but yet still say, I want you, Thomas, to be my son. I want you with your weaknesses. I want you with your frailties. I want you with, with all of your sin. I love you and I want you to be where I am. At the core of our obedience and our submission to God ought to be faith. A genuine, genuine faith and not one that's just motivated by fear. Let me go a little bit further and I'm almost done by the way. Faith, church, at its core is the thing that is supposed to bring us into obedience and submission to Jehovah God and in turn it empowers the human being to do superhuman things. Then the, the other observ observation that we find in verse number six, faith therefore is the ingredient that is needed to please God the Father. If we don't have faith, true faith, if we don't have that, that thing that, that is, 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 is planted in Jesus Christ, that thing that comes from the knowledge of the word, that thing that God has revealed to us about who he is and his, his plan for our lives, if we don't, don't have faith, we could be doing good works from now until thy kingdom come, but if we don't have faith, it's really not going to profit us anything. 
So the Hebrew writer wants the audience to have not only an appropriate theology of faith, but he wants them to also have a good testimony of faith as well. If you need to break that down, let me help you. Let me, let me, let me share, put it this way. A lot of us have good theologies when it comes to faith. We could teach people book, chapter, and verse about what faith is. But what the Hebrew writer is after is not necessarily just a bunch of people that are sound in terms of the theology of faith. He is after helping those individuals to not only have a theology, but also have a testimony of faith for themselves. So all the list of chapter number 11 is a list of testimonies of individuals who in their lifetime, in their situations, stood on their faith and stayed with God through thick and thin. And that isn't to say that they, did, they didn't have some moments. That isn't to say that they didn't have times of fear themselves. That isn't to say that they didn't have moments of doubt, but they stuck with God. And they stuck with God so much that the testimony of both people and God was that God was pleased with them. Watch it and will be done. I have, I have three, three things really quickly from this text that I want to conclude with. And, and I pray, hope, and trust that something that is said here is going to bless each and every one of us. There are three things in this text as he talks by feats of faith that he identifies. In verse number three, he says, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed by God's command that we now see, did not, that the things that we now see did not come from anything that was actually seen. In other words, faith starts within us a theology of creation. But in as much as it starts within us a theology of creation, our faith doesn't start with creation. Because if our faith started with creation, then what do you say to somebody who said, that where did God come from? Because I could see the earth, I could see the trees, I see the birds and I see the seas, I could see that so I could make some sense. But where did God come from? The evidence of creation only helps us to recognize the power of God, but faith starts with us believing in the God who said, let there be light. Everything else gives us evidence that God is real. Everything in scripture, from all the miracles, from all the signs, the historical backdrop and everything, all these are evidences that prove that even though we can't, we have never laid eyes on this God that we preach about, everything else proves that there is and has been and has always existed a creator God. So faith, number one, he wants us to know that this is where our understanding starts. This is where our understanding lies. Our understanding in the creation, and not necessarily just the creation, but in the creator is where we and our understanding begins. That's number one. Number two, verse number four, he says, by faith, Abel brought a more acceptable offering. Could I say it this way? All sacrifices are not created equal. And if sacrifices were equatable to worship, I could also put it this way, not all worship that is offered and rendered is equal. 
We have come and we have assembled to worship God together. And while there is a communitive aspect and a, a, a communal aspect to worship, I want us to appreciate that at the end of the day, I can't worship for you. And you can't worship for me. And what God is going to take up, yes, is all of us coming together, not just in Antioch, but in Rural Hill. Every single person that's worshiping and calling upon his name right now, he's taking all that up as worship to him. But I'm, I promise you, what I am given is what he's looking at. What you are given is what he's looking at. Not all worship is created equal. We, we, we've been blessed to come and participate, but how is your worship to God? That's the difference. That's the, that's the whole idea of Cain and Abel. It's, it's the whole idea that both were bringing sacrifices, but only one was acceptable. And I, I don't have the time nor the, nor the energy to deal with why, you know, one may, may have been more acceptable than the other. Other, other. other than to say, when you're reading about this in the book of Genesis, the difference is that according to Abel's sacrifice, he gave the best. Whereas Cain, he just kind of gave God. That's, that's really the difference in the text. When you, when you read it in, in, in Genesis chapter number 4, the difference really is the fact that in as much as uh, Cain was a tiller of the ground and Abel was a keeper of animals or whatever, the idea was Cain's sacrifice was just, eh, I, I, have, I have some fruit here, I have some, some provisions here, I'm going to give it to God. Whereas Abel was well thought out. He was like, no, 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 I, the same God that's given me this, I'm gonna, I, I want to give him the best. So not all sacrifices, not all worship is created equal. But what makes our worship acceptable in the sight of God and approved by God is the fact that every single time we've come to worship God, we come to give God the best. And for many individuals, that may not be a thing because we have... Uh, different versions of best. We have a version of what the best is out in the world. And then when it comes to, to, to gathering and, and spiritual spaces, we have a different version that, that, that says something totally different, right? But I need for us to understand that when it, when it talks about worship, when it talks about sacrifice, it's our faith that affords our sacrifice to be approved by Almighty God. I told you there is a correlation between our faith and the approval of God. But here it is, number three. By faith, this is verse number 5 now of chapter number 11, Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who was pleasing in the sight of God. Come with me if you don't mind to Genesis chapter 5. In Genesis chapter 5, Huh. All that to get to Genesis chapter 5. Because Hebrews eleven six 6 would say, without faith it is impossible to please God. And then he connects the impossibility of trying to please God without faith by saying, they that come to God must believe that he is. In other words, we have to believe in the all-sufficiency and we have to believe in the ever-existing nature of a God that we have never really physically laid eyes on. But he has given us some evidence through time, 
And certainly he has given us some evidence through our own existence. But I want you to see this. In, he, in, 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 in Genesis chapter 5, this is going to be the last scripture I read and the message will be yours. In Genesis chapter 5, it begins pretty much by outlining the generation of Adam. I want you to see this with me. Look down into your text. Let me read from verse number one, and I'll just skip through to the verse I want to get to or verses I want to get to. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Then in verse number three, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his, in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And after begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. You guys see that in your text? And for every single generation that would be offered and every single name, it would give when they were born, how long they lived, when they started having children, how long they lived after they had said child, and then they died. Then they died. Then they died. Death was given as the one who took them. But come down really quickly, if you don't mind, to verse number 18. In verse number 18, chapter 5 of Genesis, Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he? And he? Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. What, what, look at that one more time. Enoch walked with God 300 years. The NLT, the New Living Translation, would put it this way. Enoch had close fellowship with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Let me read that from the New Living Translation. Verse number 24. Walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared. Because God took him. Here is the difference between Enoch and the others that were listed in the text. When you walk with God, when you're in close fellowship with God, it's not death that takes you. I'm saying that with tears ready to stream down my face. Because I'm mindful this morning that we are missing a loved one in the person of Brother David, right? And we're going to pray for that family at the end of our service. I'm mindful that we started 2023 
with funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral. And God knows we may end 23 with 2023 with another funeral. But the whole idea of, 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 of being faithful and having faith and, and living by faith and walking in faith is that when we are approved of God, we walk so close with God that even when the breath is taken from us, that, that is not accounted to death. That's really God. Because God says enough is enough. I, I've seen your life. I've seen your pain. I've, I've seen your suffering. And enough is enough. So notice what it says according to the NLT version. He says, then one day he disappeared. Could you imagine his family looking for him? Could you imagine his family wondering where he, where he was? Could you imagine they might, they, they might have been thinking some prey, some animal took him and we couldn't find his body. And Moses is penning years after to let them know, to let their generations know. No, no, no. It wasn't death that took him. It was God. But more than God taking him, which, which should have been comforting enough. But, but here is why the reason why God took him was because he walked with him. The reason why God took him was because he had a testimony that he lived a life that was pleasing and acceptable in the sight of God. Church, let me speak to us. Believers, let me speak to us. When our time calls, it's going to come just like that and suddenly. When our time comes, it's going to be a one-day type of situation. When our time comes, what's going to matter is the fact that you and I hopefully would have been walking in fellowship, walking in step, walking in faith, and when death comes, it won't be death that is going to take us. It's going to be God saying, come my son, come my daughter, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. So here's where I want to end. Here's where I want to end. I want to ask you to stand. I want to end here. Stop trying to seek the validation. Stop trying to seek after the opinions and stop trying to seek after individuals that don't really matter. Because the truth is this, the only approval that matters at the end of the day is God's. Will you walk in faith? Say yes. Will you trust in God? Say yes. Will you believe despite coming whatever may? Say yes. So that at the end of it all, we will all hear, hopefully, well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. My good. My faithful. You understand it now? You, you get why faithful is stuck in there? Because the faithful ones are those who didn't just trust in things. They trust in God. The faithful ones are those who didn't have a worldly standard, but a godly standard. The faithful ones is the ones who have a love that is unconditional like Jesus Christ. The faithful ones are the ones who will pray for those that would spit on you. The faithful ones are the ones who won't look at anybody different because they don't look like you. The faithful ones are those who stay close in proximity and sincerity and fellowship to Jehovah God. I pray open trust that something that was said today was able to bless you all as we all strive to continue being faithful in the sight of Almighty God. We're going to sing our song of invitation at this time.
तू 